Good morning, once again. For the benefit of those listening online, my name is Paul, and I have the privilege of leading the team that oversees New Life Community Church. So we have taken a brief break from our series in Hebrews to share something of the theological journey we have been on as an eldership team together. So if we think of a a roadmap, our end destination was to look at the practice of teaching in the local church and who gets to do it. In order to reach that destination, we found that our journey needed to have a few theological pit stops, areas in the Bible that help inform our practice, such as who God is and how he operates, men and women looking at roles and relationships, the household of God, which is church family, in particular roles such as elders and deacons. And so this is some of the bigger church, bigger stuff, sorry, the bigger stuff, bigger picture stuff that we covered last week in part one, and we did it in this way. So we looked at God as team, we looked at man and woman as team, we looked at the household of God, which is the church, and we looked at the matter of authority. Can I just check, is this mic slightly feedback, feeding back, or is it all right? Thanks, mate. Theology helps inform our practice as God's church. And so last week, we covered the big picture stuff. Today, in part two, we'll be looking at how that is applied to the local church. So particularly us here at New Life Community Church. So if you are visiting this morning, my apologies, because today is part two of a two-part preach, and the job of part one was to help inform what was delivered in today in part two. And we did cover a reasonable amount of ground. So may I encourage anyone, if you haven't already, please do have a good listen to part one, even if it's retrospective. So you listen to part two today. Listening to part one should hopefully make more sense of what I'm going to deliver and also show something of the labor of love that we as an eldership team have gone into these areas. So you can do that via our Spotify podcast. The link has been already sent out to those connected to NLCC, but you can just as easily find it by searching for New Life Community Church in Spotify. So we are going to zoom into church practice. I'm sorry you have to bear with me. It's another one of those lengthy preaches again. So, you know, feel free as church family to nudge the person who's slightly nodding off next to you. That's what my wife used to do to me in our younger days when I used to listen to, you know, in those days, preachers used to go on for like an hour, you know. Today, you know, we try and squeeze things into 20 minutes. But obviously, there's a reason why, you know, they didn't always work as an hour, because I definitely fell asleep for quite a few of those. So do feel free to nudge someone, give them a little wake, catch them up. When they say, what is he talking about? I don't know what to say in that moment. I just... You have to cover that ground, hopefully. Okay, right, so we're going to look at NLCC structure. So we're looking at the flow of team from last week, God, man to woman, and how that impacts the way we function as New Life Community Church. We're going to do that in three ways. NLCC structure, who can teach, and character and gifting. So before we do that, let's bridge the gap between part one and from last week to part two this week by reminding ourselves some of the biblical terms that we worked through last week and how they are defined, because they're going to help shape and inform what we deliver today. Starting with headship. So headship is a title given to one who has primary responsibility and accountability. 
In the Bible, the most obvious example of this, it's Jesus, who is called the head of the church. Jesus is also described as the husband of the church. And that really affirms the way that we see the pattern of headship given in the Bible, particularly to husbands and fathers, in reflection of the model that we receive in Jesus. Last week, we gave the example of the first marriage context that we find between Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 2. We discovered the beauty of team and unity and diversity, but also something of role and relationship. And covering is probably one of the most helpful pictures the Bible gives to help us understand this role at work. So as soon as that title of head is given, it's like the husband or father pops open an umbrella over their family. And this covering represents a God-given responsibility, a burden to protect, provide, and care for. And again, there is plenty of language used in Scripture that helps us to see how that is modeled in the way God himself provides and covers for us. So the psalmist, he talks about hiding under the shadow of God's wing. In Psalm 17, that's David. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being like a mustard seed, which is something about the the nature and the activity and the reign and the rule of God, which grows and branches out, in which there are tree branches to nestle in and and cool to 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 have shade in. Mustard trees provide that. I've seen them grow. They're huge, enormous amount of shade. Covering is a way to help describe headship at work. We looked at submission. So biblical submission is the act of laying oneself down in order that another be lifted up. This is the model we see in the Trinity and is highly connected to the character trait of humility. When the Apostle Paul talks about submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, he is calling the church to behave in a particular way toward one another. We, as brothers and sisters, as family together in Christ, should seek to elevate one another, even if that means at the expense of sometimes us laying ourselves down. In a marriage context, wives are to submit to their husbands, as husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So both are to demonstrate this significant sacrificial love for one another. And if anything, there's a greater responsibility for the husband to do so. So that's headship and submission. And then we finally looked at bridging the gap through the matter of authority. So last week, we defined authority as the attachment of weight, power, influence, and accountability to an individual. So in in the scriptures, it's not necessarily about the value of that weight, power, or influence, but how it is exercised, how you use it. That proves important. And to help, we use the parable of the talents as an example of how authority should and probably shouldn't be used. So Jesus tells this story of three guys who were entrusted servants. They were entrusted with the property of the owner that they served. And the owner gives each of his servants a number of talents, meaning each man was given a sum of money according to their ability. So one guy is given five talents, which today is about, I think it was about 25 grand, okay? Another man was given 10,000 pounds, and another man was given 5,000 pounds. Now, the, as the owner goes away, the guys with 25 grand and 10 grand, they both invest what they have, and they end up doubling what they've been given. However, the guy with 5,000 pounds doesn't do anything with this. He just buries it in the ground. So as you might expect, 
the owner returns, and he praises the first two guys. And he rewards them for how they've invested in his absence. However, for the man who hid what he was given, the owner punishes him for being a lazy servant. So last week, we, we looked at a principle in the Bible about the use of authority and how it is exercised. And that principle was this. Authority can be given. And we looked at a few examples in Scripture where we see authority given, whether that was modeled through the Trinity, the way the Father gives authority to the Son. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. God to mankind, authority given to men and women to steward creation in the beginning. We see that in Genesis 1. Yes, Genesis 1. And through God's appointment of judges, kings, and prophets. And as we recalled from Romans 13, 1, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So the main thing was that we see a positive principle demonstrated in Scripture in the use of authority. It can be given. And so when we look back to the parable of the talents, the servants are entrusted with the property and money that was not their own, with an inferred understanding to look after that property and put the finance to good use. In other words, look to be fruitful and multiply with that which you've been entrusted with. In a similar way, we see God entrusting his servants in Scripture and continues to do so today with precious things that are rightfully his, but with an expectation to use or exercise what we have been given, what they had been given, in a faithful way. So whether you have been given a large amount of authority or a small amount of authority, you are to remember, firstly, the authority is not your own. It has been given to you. Secondly, it would seem that it's a bit of a crime to bury that authority in the ground. In not using it well, it can potentially be taken away. Thirdly, to exercise authority in a pleasing way is to invest it well. Authority used well has a good return and is pleasing to the one who's given it. So on the principle of team, the model of family, and remembering that authority can be given, we're going to start looking at these three areas of structure, teaching, character, and gifting. And we're going to start with the New Life Community Church structure and practice here. Let's pray. Let's pray before we dig in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. I pray for your help. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, we pray that you would bring us together as a church family uh, in this journey as you have been with us as an eldership team through this journey. God, would you, um, would you have your way? Have your way with your word, and may your word speak powerfully to us this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, NLCC structure. Let's begin with what the Bible says about elders and deacons, starting with elders. Now, of course, I'm not going to major on elders, because we've already covered some of that ground regarding eldership last week. So, I will just give you the headlines, okay? Elders are the appointed servants who have leadership responsibility over the whole church family. They have a shepherding role, which includes to faithfully follow the chief shepherd, that is Jesus, and faithfully deliver and preserve God's instructions and faithfully protect the church family. That's all I'm going to deliver on elders. In a nutshell, that is elders, okay? 
And we have four elders here at New Life Community Church, myself, Cain, Tim, and Dale. Deacons, in the New Testament, it describes three distinct groups of people in reference to the, early, the way the early church was structured. Saints, you and I, deacons, and elders. Of course, you've got apostles as well. The root word for deacon in Greek means to serve. When you hear deacon typically in the scripture, it, it means serving. However, that Greek word will differ slightly depending on the emphasis of the writer. So in scripture, we see the word deacon emphasized in four different ways. Deaconing or serving as a general activity of the church. Deaconing or serving as a spiritual gift. Deaconing as a specific ministry and deaconing as an office. So it's helpful to understand that deaconing or serving as a general activity is a calling for all the saints who follow Jesus. We are all called to serve. And that is chiefly modeled by Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Deaconing or serving is also a spiritual gift, as Paul highlights in Romans 12, 6-7, which means that although we are all called to serve, there will be people who display a standout gift of serving, and this is for the benefit and building up of the church family. Okay, here's another example. Okay, so in a similar way, the Bible exhorts us all to sing to the Lord, which is part of our worship together as a family. However, clearly we do recognize when God has deposited a gift of singing to an individual, don't we? We also recognize when probably someone hasn't been given that gift as well, amen? <clears throat> it's, when someone's been given a gift, it stands out. And in a church family context, it's, it's a means of blessing to the church family. It's deaconing as a serving as a spiritual gift deaconing as a spiritual gift. We also see deaconing or serving as a specific ministry in Scripture. So, for example, when the apostles appoint seven men in Acts chapter 6 to deacon, to serve in the daily distribution of food. Or quite like this from 1 Peter 12, where Peter shares how the Old Testament prophets, they realized, they had this revelation that they were serving, deaconing, not themselves, but future generations, not just the people there. So, you know, when we prophesy here or bring a word, we think we're serving the family here. These guys suddenly realize they're not just serving this family, but future generations in their ministry. And finally, we see deaconing or serving as an office. So this is holding a key serving role within the church family context that has a measure of delegated authority, remember authority can be given, to lead or manage a particular area of church activity or ministry. So in 1 Timothy 3, we have a list of character qualifications for that office of deacons who are to hold this type of responsibility. And so, in a nutshell, that's deaconing in Scripture, and here's our conclusion as elders regarding the area of deacons or deaconing. So saints, you and I, we are called to deacon or serve Jesus and the church family through many means. Some saints, through their character and gifting, will be recognized by the eldership team and called to serve with a measure of delegated authority. 
And this is in order to help and support the elders in their task of overseeing the church. And that may be in the form of leading or managing a particular ministry or church activity. For example, as we take a moment to look at the moment, and we will, at the new life com- uh, structure here at New Life Community Church, this office of deacon will look like coordinators, site leads, trustees, and other ministry leads. Now, the important thing is, though we might not use the term deacon, we as an eldership team want to recognize this office and honor those who are operating with those servant lead roles throughout the church family. Okay, so let's touch briefly then upon the structure here at NLCC now that we are, because we've changed and adapted and slightly shaped differently now that we are one church in multiple locations. So hopefully, you might or might not have caught a glimpse of the digital copy of the structure document that Joe sent out on Friday. Don't, don't, you don't have to answer now, it's fine. You know. There will be a hard copy available from next Sunday onwards, I'm pleased to know, <clears throat> let you know. And also, uh, I think it's helpful that while these things are still fresh, you know, this is all new for us, really, that everyone really has an idea of key serving roles and responsibilities throughout the church family. So when someone says, hey, I'm the site lead for Wimborne, you'll actually have an idea of the role that they carry. So in the document, you'll have several key serving roles with a headline definition, and that role then is unpacked just a little bit underneath. We also have a nice little flowchart for those people who like flowcharts. Dale likes flowcharts. He's the one who created it. If you want to you know, give any encouragement to him, I, I, in fact, I don't think he needs any more encouragement for flowcharts. So in fact, let's stop short of that type of encouragement. But it's a nice little flowchart that aims to show something of the relationship between the roles. So you'll notice, as you look on the flowchart, that we have accommodated for an additional site, in addition to Downton. And now the purpose, I want to say, so the purpose of us bringing this structure together is to have capacity for growth. We are still on mission together. God is still calling us to reach our communities and beyond, and we want to show faith for that in the way that we build now. So we have listed elders, coordinators, trustees, site leads, and site teams in the document to you. Uh, But I thought rather than just reading everything to you and reiterating what the document actually says, I thought it might be just more helpful to pick up some of the roles that are new and those that have slight adjustments for existing roles. And we'll, we'll start... We'll start again with elders, okay? So last week we talked about the shepherding role that elders have over the local church family, and part of that overseeing, following, guarding, serving role includes knowing, knowing the church family. As the church grows and it adds to us, and we press out, because we have faith for that to press out into new locations, part of the challenge will be to continue to know the church family. So, of course, we, on one, in one way, we'll be reliant on those who are serving in supporting roles across the church family, feeding into us and keeping us in the loop regarding individuals and corporate activity. But it's just as important to us to be present with the church family, to be here. So there, it shouldn't feel like there's any, really any time when we are overseeing from a distance. Hence the reason our aim is to have and at least one elder present whenever the church gathers on a Sunday location, in each location. And that's, we've kept that fluid, okay? 
The purpose of that is that you may see me here on a Sunday. You may see Dale here on a Sunday. Okay, so we haven't attached an elder to a site location. We've just kept that. I think that's a healthy thing so that all the elders have a responsibility to get to know the church and also you as a church family get to know all of us. Now, of course, elders are not just for Sundays. That should be a bumper sticker, shouldn't it? I, I, on a T-shirt, should get that one. But we do recognize the significance of being present to oversee and to help us know the church family and for you guys to know us. So that's the aim. We may not hit that note every time, but we will strive to. Which, on an additional note, we also recognize our responsibility to identify and work toward new eldership appointments that can help serve the church as we move forward together. Next up, coordinators. Coordinators. These are the guys who are given leadership authority from the elders to manage a team that serves across multiple sites in line with the vision, values, culture, and theology of New Life Community Church. So here is a key serving role that seeks to harness great character and gifting from individual sites, pull them all together in order to resource and serve the whole church family. So this is where we believe in our rural context, one of the strengths of being one church in multiple locations is the ability to be more efficient in resourcing one another. And this includes areas like worship and PA and admin and kids' work and preaching and anchoring or hosting safeguarding, and things like men and women's ministries. And I'm delighted already to be able to say we have a number of people serving and working together in these roles for the benefit and blessing of the whole church family. That's coordinators. Site leads. Site leads. Ooh, can we go ooh for site leads? I know, it's exciting. They are given leadership authority from the elders to manage, coordinate, and evaluate individual site activity in line with the vision, values, culture, and theology of NLCC. That sounds a bit of a mouthful, doesn't it? But what it basically means, whereas coordinators and trustees, their role is to serve and resource the church as a whole, the site lead role differs in a way that it's site-specific. So the primary purpose of that role is to help the eldership team like have a unique insight into the function, culture, and values of a local community, and potentially how the church can be best placed to outwork its vision in a local context. So in one sense, so the, broad, the broad scheme of things, the vision, the values, culture, and theology for the whole church remain the same throughout the whole church family, but how, is this, how it's practiced, how it's applied, may differ from site to site. I mean, I'm already getting grief that Pete serves really good coffee in Wimborne, and in Fordham Bridge, we just get instant. Uh, that's, I'm already getting that, okay? So, but how we practice hospitality and do hospitality may differ from site to site and, and, and in accordance with the budget. Hey, Pete? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> as well as some other practical responsibilities, the site lead is to help the eldership team really have a window into local church and community life. Okay, so the other roles like trustees and site teams, they're kind of, if if you're used to church life, they're kind of more familiar. Just as important, but I don't need to delve into those. I just wanted to pick up new roles and adjustments to the existing ones. It's exciting, isn't it? Is it it exciting? It is exciting. It is exciting. Uh, For the benefit of online, everyone was really excited about this. Okay. 
Our next job as an eldership team is appointment. We've got to actually pop people into those roles. And so we have given ourselves a very optimistic window to a publicly affirm guys who will fill these roles when we have our church family meeting on the 7th of September. So we want our, our heart and our hope is to be able to bring these guys, because that's what deacons uh, happens with people who operate in the office of deacon. They are publicly recognized. You know, the elders pray for them, lay hands on them, and, and ask God to bless them as they serve the church going forward. We want to honor men and women for the way that they will serve the church as we move forward together as a family, as we move together forward as a family. Okay, let's move on to, that's, that's NLCC structure, that's elders and deacons. Let's move on to who can teach. So the purpose of the journey that we've been on as an eldership team is to reach a particular destination. We wanted to land on teaching in the local church and who gets to do it. Now, as part of that journey, we have investigated several areas that will shape and inform our view, and this is why we have endeavored to show you over the last two Sundays really the fruits of our time together. In, in a few weeks, when the website is tinkered with and we have a resources page, uh, we will also part into that web page the, the culmination of our work and the paper that we've pulled together as an eldership team as well relating to this whole topic. We're just really giving you the fruit of what we've labored, really. So let's talk teaching. Let's talk teaching. What does the Bible tell us about teaching? So firstly, it is a spiritual gift given to individuals. Spiritual gift given to individuals. So Paul calls the church in 1 Corinthians 14 to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So these are gifts specifically given by the Holy Spirit to individuals for the common good of the local church. And we talked about the gift of serving earlier. So even though we should desire these gifts, it's clear that not everyone will receive the same gift. The Holy Spirit gives out as he determines and therefore continues that genesis flow of unity through diversity with everyone bringing something individually of worth for the good of all. page. Okay, Paul tells us in Romans 12 that teaching is one of those gifts that is distributed by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it is something that can be simultaneously earnestly desired and equally recognized in an individual. The Greek word used to describe that gift is didasko, which means someone who is able to deliver information that helps people to understand. Please don't mark me after this one, okay? That's what a gift, okay? Didasco is someone who can deliver information in a way that helps people understand. Whether that is the ability to communicate and teach visually, like I never saw it like that before, or the kind of teaching that I need, people who can make the complex sound simple. Thank God for those guys. I never understood it like that before. Whatever way it happens, it is a gift that is clearly recognizable or earnestly desired by individuals. In Romans 12, there are two types of teaching noted. The first we have just discussed, and the second comes from the Greek word didaskalia. And this means to teach doctrine. These are the significant foundational truths from Scripture that undergird the church's theology, practice, and shape an individual's walk with Jesus. They are the building blocks of faith that need to be preserved, protected, and imparted. And as we've already highlighted, this is one of the key roles of the eldership team. 
Now, Paul puts these two words next to each other, 12.7. If it is teaching, then teach. Didasco comes first, followed by didascalia, meaning if someone has the gift to unpack information in a way that helps people understand, then they should be teaching doctrine. It's also helpful to note that Paul seems to be addressing the whole church, both men and women. This gift, along with the others listed in both Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, are spiritual gifts for the common good of the church family. So teaching is a gift given to individuals. But it is also an individual given as a gift to the church. So Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that the ascended Jesus gave specific individuals, and he still we believe he still does today, as gifts to the local church. These individuals are there to help the church by equipping the saints for the work of ministry, building up the body of Christ, moving the church forward into greater maturity in Christ. These individuals given to us by Jesus are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And it's our opinion that the unique calling card for each of these individuals today is not only are they recognized for operating with a particular spiritual gift, but you know what? Embedded in them, you can see it just comes out in who they are as a heart to serve and equip the local church for mission and ministry. So here we have Paul exhorting those who can teach to teach the big stuff. And we have Jesus specifically giving individual teachers to the church that will have, a heart, have the heart and gifting to help the, mature, the church mature in its faith and deeds. Now, at New Life Community Church, we believe we align ourselves with Scripture in a, having a high view of eldership. And like Adam, like husbands, like fathers, in the household of God, elders have a unique accountability before God to protect and enable for the local church family to flourish. And one of the primary qualifications for an elder is that they must be able to teach, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, which is an immediate difference from being a deacon. So deacons are a serving role in which being able to teach is not a qualification required. Now, of course, teaching is not just for Sundays. And in addition, it doesn't just occur by delivering a message. However, in our context, in our time, Sunday is one of the primary windows we get as a team to outwork our responsibility as elders to the church family, to shepherd the flock through teaching. So at NLCC, we should expect, or would expect, to see over the course of a year, elders carry out the majority of teaching responsibility when the church family gathers together. Now, of course, the majority doesn't mean all. And so what does it mean for, when the, time, for the time when elders are not teaching, who then, in, in addition gets to teach the gathered church family. So in line with our flow of thought and considering our high value regarding preaching and the teaching of God's word, it seems perfectly reasonable to align with Paul in Romans 12 and look to those who have the spiritual gift of teaching, those who can teach, should teach the big stuff. However, there are some texts in the Bible that seem to indicate limits on who gets to teach and where that teaching takes place, particularly when the church gathers together. And I'm going to briefly explain how we've landed on this. I will briefly do it because it is quite a reasonable amount of work that's gone into this process, okay? You just, <laughs> we're just going to get to the fruit of what we've, we've labored. Okay, so when we approach Scripture, here we go, we seek to identify 
two types, through using two types of tools, universal principles, okay, so the things that stand for all time, such as Jesus saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That wasn't just something that happened in the moment. This is a statement that we believe as Christians stands for all time. Christ is the only means of restoring relationship between creator and creation. Amen? I'm glad some of us agree with that one. That's good. There were also cultural practices that we have a place in time. For example, when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples in John 13. So it's here that we see a cultural practice that reflects a universal principle. Jesus modeled a way in which he wanted his disciples to serve one another. The practice of washing one another's feet demonstrated the lengths of love, the lengths that love will go to see another washed clean and honored. This was, in that time, a servant's role. But it was not, Jesus is saying, this is not just a servant of the house job, but the role for every servant of Jesus. Today, it's not necessary Today, it's not necessary for us to wash each other's feet, thank God. Have you seen my feet? You don't want to be washing my feet. But the principle of serving in such a way that shows some sort of reflection of the length that Jesus was willing to go for those he loved, that principle, that universal principle remains for all time. This is no job for just some but a role for all who follow Jesus. We are all called to deacon, to serve. So understanding that which is universal, that stands for all time, and that which is a cultural practice is important. So when it comes to tricky texts like 1 Timothy 2, and it is a tricky one, we have drawn upon those tools to look at principles of headship, authority, and submission in relation to the gathered church. And we have appealed, like Paul, to the creation order in order to understand something of what church practice should look like if, we're, if God was to declare it very good, as opposed to how we feel Paul is reacting to a situation that has gone very bad. Therefore, through the redeeming work of Christ and transforming power of the Holy Spirit, if headship authority and submission are being worked out well in the church context, what would that look like? We biblically believe we would hope to see elders overseeing and primarily teaching as those uniquely accountable to God. We would hope to see deacons recognized and given a measure of delegated authority by the elders to serve in key roles across the church family. And we would hope to see spiritual gifts exercised across the church family, with those who have gifting being encouraged and given the opportunity to use that gifting under the covering of authority of the eldership. This, of course, includes the gift of teaching. So with all of that in mind, our concluding statement is this. This is the destination, okay? We see no reason that both men and women who have demonstrated right character and gifting can deliver teaching to the local gathered church under the covering and authority of the eldership team. We see no reason that both men and women who have demonstrated right character and gifting can deliver teaching to the local gathered church under the covering and authority of the eldership. So this is where we have landed as a team. 
This is a new theological position for us and one we hope to honour God with. As ones who are responsible before God for guarding right doctrine, in rightful response, we will look to further now cultivate a preaching team of men and now women of good character and gifting that will serve the church family going forward in line with the vision, values, culture, and theology of NLCC as set by the eldership team. And we are excited to see what God does as we seek to honor him with these things. Okay, so let me finish by looking at character and gifting. I think if we took this preach over the last couple of weeks as a whole and thought of it as a piece of orchestral music, character and gifting for me is the most beautiful way of bringing this all together. In the scriptures, it's not so much about who is appointed, but the way in which God appoints that tells us something significant that we should look or how we should look to appoint in this church family. If appointment was primarily about what a person could do, then I think the Bible would read very differently. It is true that there are plenty of people with gifting in the Bible, but it would seem that this is very much a secondary issue for God. How gifting is, how gifting is used is determined by character, and character is shaped by heart. Does God see in you someone who desires to love him with all of their heart, soul, and might, or at least see the potential for that to happen. You know, God chose his king for Israel on the basis of heart. And if you read the story of David, you're going to know that David was not perfect in character, but he aspired to be. And he was truly sorry when he just royally messed things up. Why? Because he had a heart after God. Now, David had plenty of gifting, tools that he needed to lead a nation, to win battles, to build team. He had all of that in his locker. Yet it was his heart that God looked, to his heart that God looked. A heart that would shape a character that aspired to please God. Commitment, conviction, trustworthiness, humility, kindness, gentleness, self-control at their best all of these overflow from a heart to please God and are brought into maturity through the work of the Holy Spirit. It is these character traits that really sharpen how a gift is used because the owner of that gift is less concerned about how the gift impacts themselves but more about how it brings glory to God and is used to bless others. So in the qualifications for elders and deacons in 1 Timothy 3, Paul majors on character and minors on gifting. It's not that the two things are divorced from one another. It's just that character outweighs gifting because it informs us how it is used. That is because of the danger. That is, if gifting becomes primary, poor character may lead to misuse of that gifting and potentially misuse of any position of authority given with it. Even if I took... I'm sorry about this for those guys who don't really like football. So even if I took a worldly example... I've been watching behind the scenes a documentary on Arsenal Football Club, and I was, I, you know what, I was amazed to see how challenging it was to bring a team together if the character of one player was particularly difficult. 
it didn't matter how gifted the individual was. The character actually had a huge impact on the team. And it wasn't until the character quality was resolved could the team move forward effectively together. In fact, in this case, the, the player was sold. And though they were actually, a, as a team, a little bit worse off, I mean, individually, a little bit worse off in gifting, together as a team, they were much more effective and better results started coming in. So here at New Life Community Church, we want to major on character. We know gifting is important, but gifting is best expressed and utilized in the presence of good character. Particularly as we appoint people to new serving roles, I think just to know that with a heart to bring glory to Jesus, we appoint characters shaped by hearts who desire to do the same, with gifting given to the right areas for the church to grow and move forward together. That's it. That's it. Wrapping up round two. I'm very much looking forward to our church weekend next together, and I'm very much looking forward to all that we are going to be doing together as a church family. Let me invite the worship team to come up with us. And let me remind you that we have two Wednesdays penciled in on the 24th and the 31st of August, 7.30 p.m. till 9 p.m. at the branch, uh, where if you have any questions about what we have delivered over the last couple of weeks, the eldership team will be there at the branch. Just pop in just to informally chat things through, you know, so drop in. Probably don't drop in at 8.55, that would give us less time to address some of those questions, but drop in reasonably, you know, don't, don't feel that you have to be there at 7.30 either. Okay, so oh, I've just literally got written in my notes, can I invite the worship team up? I've already done it. Got ahead of myself. Let's stand together, shall we? Let's find something in the scripture to stir our hearts. We're just going to respond with a song. We're going to draw ourselves back into a place of worship by allowing ourselves really to gaze upon the character of Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We look to his model to shape and inspire us. So let me read to you from Philippians 2. Church family, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord Jesus, we come to your character now. May we be a church family that reflects that wonderful character that you showed us. Ones of humility, 
ones of servanthood, ones who are seeking to elevate others, ones who come under your headship, Lord Jesus Christ. You are the husband to the bride, which is your church, and we honor you. We love you. Thank you for all that you're doing. Amen.